Welcome to the Event Tech Podcast, where we explore the ever-evolving world of event technology every week. This show is brought to you by Endless Events, the event management company on the cutting edge of trends. Now, let's talk tech. Welcome back to another episode of the Event Tech Podcast. I'm so excited for this week's episode because many people joining us today, but across from me, my usual co-host, the Square Brand Kruger of Event Technology Consulting. <laughs> and in an irony of podcasting, that gentleman over there is the visible Will Curran of Endless <laughs> Events. I love it. I love it. Um, I don't actually think you're that square. I think you're pretty. You're pretty hip, Brant. I think you're pretty cool. And you are very visible, especially for the <laughs> folks who who can't see. Will's wearing his usual lime green endless T-shirt. Uh, for for those of you listening, just get that mental image in your head. But we are neither here to talk about your clothing choices or my squareness. Although I do have a big square melon head, um, very Minecraft melon. If that uh, rings a bell for anybody, for any. But we are here. We so. All this year, Will, I feel like we've been talking about mergers and acquisitions. We've had dedicated talks about it. It keeps coming up. Um, I had originally predicted that we were going to be going into kind of a down phase and that, that was going to start going to a trickle. I then revised that at the beginning of the year and was like, <laughs> actually, I think it's going to be on the upswing for the rest of this year as well and that we were going to continue to see a lot of them. And uh, we're really lucky today to be joined with kind of one of the latest uh, acquisitions to happen in the event uh, tech space. And so we are being joined today by Lawrence Coburn, who's the co-founder founder and CEO of Twine, and Helena Merck, who is the founder and CEO of Glimpse, that just announced last week uh, that uh, Twine was going to be acquiring Glimpse. Um, so we are really lucky to have both of you on. Helena, thanks so much for joining us. Super excited to be here. Thank you. And Lawrence, it's great to see you again. Yeah, it's good to see you guys again. Fantastic. Well, why don't we start, since we've we've talked a bit about Twine a bit in the past, um, Lawrence, if you want to just give folks who might not be familiar with it, just the 10,000-foot level, tell us a little bit about Twine and uh, what it is as a product and how it came to be. Yeah, I, I think that the easiest way to think about Twine, it, it's a way to recreate the conversations that used to happen in the hallway, the lobby, the elevator, the stuff that you didn't plan, but the stuff that maybe made events really magical, those little random collisions. And so we're trying to bring that to virtual events, but also to remote teams. So yeah, that's, uh, that's what we do. I like it. I like it. And then, Helena, can you explain in like a very high-level view exactly what you do? We're going to get deep in the story, but just to give everyone <laughs> an idea of what Glimpse does. Yeah, so we ended up in a pretty similar space as Twine, uh, which made all of this seamless uh, in terms of an acquisition. Um, we were building tools to facilitate quick one-on-one -on -one video chats where you'd match back-to-back -back with other people. And we really focused on how we're pairing people behind the scenes. Uh, and then about seven or so months ago, decided to take a full bet on Zoom um, and move all of our matchmaking into um, kind of the breakout room ecosystem um, and be kind of directly integrated there. Excellent. Okay, so kind of, kind of a funny story too, Will. Like about I think about nine months ago, we we thought we had this deal won to power this really high profile finance event, and we ended up losing it at the at the last minute to this this uh, this team called Glimpse. 
And all I knew about Glimpse <laughs> was that they were they were like undergrads out of Duke. I'm like, how are we losing deals to this tiny little company run by people that never really even had a, a, jo- a business job, um, which isn't exactly true. But that that's how I first became aware of, of Glimpse. They were taking our business. Dang. Dang. Nice. So like almost like it was like, oh, my gosh. Like, th- yeah, these guys, we, we're, we're missing out on something. We need someone over here. We're gonna, came onto the radar. I love it. That's so cool. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, Brent, how we want to exactly like just. I'm thinking more so like should we start with the story of kind of how Glimpse got started and then transition – and Lawrence gave a little spoiler how he, Glimpse came onto his radar. But then transition into the story as far as how uh, you know Lawrence, you guys obviously heard of him through, through that bidding process and then kind of how you guys see the, the intertwining and <laughs> the, the glimpse of the future coming from both of you. Um, that's my one pun for the day. I'm done. Um, <laughs> Don't bet but, on it. You're usually <laughs> good for two or three. Two or three. Um, <laughs> Helena, do you want to start? Uh, it, it, Lawrence, you get to chill out, grab a coffee for a second. But Helena, can you explain from uh, the start, like your story of how you started as an entrepreneur is very, very cool and love to have you share that with our audience. Yeah, we'd love to start from the top. Um, so I grew up in the Bay Area, taught myself to code when I was pretty young. I was around 12 years old um, and always just loved building things, just the act of creating something out of nothing and putting it in people's hands and kind of seeing their reactions uh, and kind of got hooked on that. First started with like apps for my youngest sister and then in high school was building apps for animal shelters. That was really neat. Uh, turns out selling to uh, nonprofits and municipalities though is really tough. Um, I don't recommend it. Uh, and then started working in like other parts of tech um, all through high school um, and got a little jaded kind of already then with what big tech was doing, uh, especially like large social media. I was seeing like Facebook and Snapchat and Instagram rise up and it was doing weird things to people's like friendships and relationships is making people insecure and self-conscious and anxious. And I was like, this is bad. Tech is bad. Let me get away from here and decided to go kind of across the country to college at Duke um, and Tried to get away from tech. Obviously, that didn't work out too well, but uh, ended up uh, choosing Duke for the BME major for biomedical engineering um, until I learned that it would take eight years before you could do anything uh, with biomedical engineering, and that was never going to happen as an impatient person. Um, So I switched into kind of global health and CS, trying to figure out some kind of interesting intersection of the two, Um, but everything felt very, like, artificial and in a box and high level and, you know, academic because, you know, it was school. Um, and I decided to drop out and join a Series A startup out in Mountain View. Uh, so kind of went back to the area um, and was just kind of working as a software engineer, having a ton of fun, got a lot of like hands-on experience, um, but it wasn't what I was looking for. It was in, you know, the connected vehicle space. Uh, and it was really cool from a technical perspective, um, but it wasn't something that I was extremely passionate about. Um, and one weekend decided to visit Duke and caught up with a bunch of friends and one conversation really stood out. Um, I got lunch or early breakfast with, uh, with my now co-founder, Brian, uh, and I like sat him down and I was going through this like existential crisis at the moment of what am I doing uh, with my life? And I'm here just, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, but I pretty much asked him, I was like, Brian, why are you still a student? And and he just threw the question right back at me. And he's like, Helena, like, why are you still at this car company? Like, why do you care about cars? Like, you've cared about, like, climate change and impact and, like, you know, taking down Facebook and, like, building a new social network. And what, do, what are you doing with your life? And next thing you know, we're, like, brainstorming on ideas and realized that we aligned so very deeply on, like, core values that regardless of what idea we landed on, like, we wanted to work together. And, like, we wanted to go and make a big impact. And 
the problem at the time that we were both kind of grappling with was like, how do we like have people having real conversations again? You know, he was in his like mid junior year and recognizing like odd little cliques forming and stuff. And I was like out in the suburbs, like not drinking age, couldn't hang out with my colleagues, couldn't do anything. And meeting people was hard. And we just figured like, what if we try to build really structured social experiences? Um, can we guide people through like curated one-on-ones, ask them deep questions, questions and like unlocking really interesting forms of conversation and like avenues that like not like not asking questions might never lead to you like in a stick in this like small talk world. So the first kind of prototype of what we were building, it was called Gravitate at the time, uh, connect people in the real world. Um, so we had people fill out pretty exhaustive surveys uh, and we're using like psychometric analysis and like random things to like pair people into deep one-on-ones turns out nobody wants to meet strangers um and that was really really hard but it got us to y combinator um it got us to like it got me to quit my job got brian to drop out of school and we went through the batch and went from being two technical founders to like kind of understanding business a little bit um and right as we were kind of taking off in some like san francisco communities uh the pandemic hit and in-person meetups were no longer a thing so that ended up actually being like a really fortunate uh, thing for us because the model we were after like was never going to be like venture back. It was never going to explode, never going to have scale. Um, but once we moved into video, we now were able to connect global communities. Um, we launched on various like Facebook groups and like exploded in usage overnight. And that was never traction we'd seen with anything in the real world, even though I'm a huge proponent of like real world interactions. Um, but that's kind of how we got into the video space. Uh, and we applied kind of the matchmaking models we'd built for the real world and made them more around the idea of like speed matchmaking uh, and then grew that over the last like two years. Uh, and then the Zoom transition happened about like six or seven months ago. And one, one crazy comment too on that, Will, like I don't know if you know this, this is exactly how Twine started, a face-to-face networking app. This is why we're twine.nyc. We had booked out a bunch of venues in New York to run face-to-face gatherings powered by software where we would introduce you to other people. And we were consumer. We were out to solve loneliness. So we have the identical founding story of Helena and Glimpse. We came to the identical assumption that this was never going to scale. And then the pandemic opened up this whole sort of limitless opportunity where suddenly you can't just meet people in your neighborhood. You can meet people anywhere in the world. And it was, a, it was just a game-changing moment. But the, the trajectories are, are identical, which is crazy. That's awesome. And, and did it ha- – did it? Sit, so you talked about like kind of the serendipity that you both were bidding on like the same account at the same time and uh, you uh, Glimpse ended up winning it. Um, you know, what was like the next step of what ended up happening after that? Was Did you just get like a random email saying like, hey, we're, we're pretty we're, – we're doing some more stuff. We need to work together. Or, like what, what kind of happened between uh, the both of you? <laughs> Yeah, Helena pinged me on Twitter and um, just to like talk shop because it was clear we had sort of very similar worldviews. We met up, uh, we got on the bikes and we met up at this spot called the Stable Cafe, which is a cool underground outdoor bicyclist hangout on Folsom Street in San Francisco. And we, we kind of hit it off. And I think we were, we, I think we joked that first meeting like, you know, you know, who knows how things turn out, but maybe, maybe we team up. Do you remember it the same way, Helena? Yeah, that's pretty accurate. Also, I love your description of stable. It's like the number one at cafe NSF. So, <laughs> <laughs> that's in, I think that's going to be going on a list for the next trip over to SF. It has to. <laughs> 
so you guys started kind of talking a little bit about like um you know oh hey we should start teaming up you know was it an immediate conversation of like hey we should consider like combining forces of our company or was it like a partnership at first what did that kind of look like in terms of how you guys ended up uh you know deciding uh, eventually i guess how did you eventually get to the conclusion of like hey like we should you know combine our companies and uh, you know combine our technologies together to become like a uh you know a uh, connection superpower i think at first when, when we met um i had been pretty transparent with like our transition onto Zoom. Uh, we pretty much put all of our efforts into that. Uh, we, on our end, kind of found it to be really difficult to have, we had like a browser-based app, we have mobile apps and everything like that, uh, but we weren't gonna go and compete with something like Hopin that had an end-to-end solution. So the way our product fit into people's events and like all hands and meetings was they'd start on Zoom, then switch over to a platform and switch back. And that's like really frustrating as like anybody who's like helping to produce these events, whether it's like a team leader or like for like a live event. And that had so much friction and we were spending so much time like helping people understand how to use this tool. We tried iframes and embeds. So we kind of had decided to stop working on Glimpse altogether. So we like weren't working on the web app. We weren't working on our mobile apps. They were like self-serve. And we were putting all of our eggs in like the Zoom basket. And the direction we were taking was, all right, what if we do matchmaking as a service? What if we start working with all of the big video providers like Microsoft Teams, like WebEx, like Zoom, and just become this like matchmaking engine under the hood? And then you can abstract that further and do that for you know all browser-based video chat applications as well. So my head at the time was that, how do we become like a service under the hood um, and work with a bunch of people? Um, I think what was really powerful about meeting Lawrence is that unlike most people that I'd met, it was like, he's he's doing the right things for the right reasons, you know? And there was just like a, like a clear alignment in like mission and values. I'm like, wow, like you, and they had the same founding story. And like, it was kind of just crazy to me. Um, and that's where our minds were at. And then I think from there, um, we didn't talk for a while. We were just kind of like building. Uh, and then in, we only started talking about more serious, like joining forces in early January, I think. And, and I, I actually remember the moment, Helena, you, you had an inbound acquisition offer and mm-hmm. you came to me as someone who had been through it with Cvent and Double Dutch and you asked me for advice on how to handle it. And I and I thought for a second and I, I don't think anybody's ever heard this story before, but um, I'm like, okay, I have two hats here. One founder, friend, um, here's what I think you should do. It's all about optionality. Get as many different buyers and funders to the table at once because that's going to maximize your, your outcome. And then but oh yeah, I have the second hat, which is like, I really like what you're building, this whole concept of matchmaking as a service. We had a whole roadmap around NAS, networking as a service that we were just waiting to get to. So I'm like, we would love to throw our hat into the ring as, as a, a potential kind of someone who would look at this from a deal. So it was very, it was kind of an awkward moment because I'm like, you should uh, <laughs> squeeze all the value you can out of this, but like, oh yeah, we'd love to team up with you too. Um, but it was, it was a funny moment. Definitely funny. And and for us, like, I don't know, if you if you look at the deal, it's like two tiny startups and it's like, why why go through all of this? And um for us, like, you know, we had the, the Twan for us, for me, it was like always the obvious it was the obvious choice after this conversation just because of the shared mission and vision. And like even though it didn't end up being like a selling to like like Zoom or like a massive company, uh, this was by far a better option in in all kind of senses of optionality. Um, so it just kind of worked out pretty, pretty amazingly. So what I would love to know is 
kind of the combined forces superhero version of what the events are going to look like. So as this, you know, things continue as it comes under the same umbrella, you know, under the same umbrella, how do you guys see this moving forward? Am I coming into Twine first? Am I going into Zoom first? Or do they stay as separate products? You know, what is, what is the vision for how that looks to the attendee uh, who's attending an event? Yeah, I, I can tackle that one a bit, and this is definitely an emerging story. So the way, the way we see it for Twine is that portability is key. We want to go where the events are happening, where the work is getting done. And obviously, Zoom is a monster player. Like, I, I don't know if you all have seen numbers, but I, I believe that 90% of all virtual events are happening on Zoom, just the long tail of smaller events. Uh, and so we, we, want, we want to be there. And so we've been building out this web-first platform, which is great. There's a lot of companies in the world that don't use Zoom. Like Microsoft is a big customer of ours. They use Teams. Just like Helena said, we want, we want to build on Teams next. So I, I think the vision is to sort of have this portable core matchmaking expertise that we can easily bring to wherever the events and the, the work is getting done. And then we, we, we hub and spoke it. So we're pulling back data and insights into our core analytics platform. So if you're a big corporate event producer and you're running events on Zoom, but you're also running events on Hopin and you're also running events on your own internal stuff, we want to be able to power all of those and then give you insights across the whole spectrum of your, your, your whole program about what's happening, how to make them better, who's meeting with you, who, uh, how, how many minutes of engagement are happening, who are your culture carriers within your company that maybe aren't managers. So all these kinds of insights that can be glee, glee, glum, these are happening. So that's a quick, quick snapshot. But Helena, anything to add there? Yeah, I mean, I think I could geek out about this forever. There's like the, the immediate what is happening and like how do we like wedge your way into all the platforms and I like the hub and spoke analogy. Uh, and then there's the more like future version of like where does this go as like everything becomes more and more interoperable. Like if we're looking at most technologies now, like if you don't have some modularity with like app stores and like widgets that you can add, like everybody wants hyper customizability and their own branding and stuff like that. Um, and then data flowing between all pipelines. So the the application of that in this case is, if we're looking at it through the Zoom lens, is like a non-ephemeral, like forever lasting Zoom room where you've added this like twine for Zoom inside of it. Uh, where you go into different breakout rooms and rooms, and this sounds a bit like metaverse depending on your definition of metaverse, but imagine like not closing your Zoom room between meetings and like your your workplace just is there and you walk around and you move into different breakout rooms, uh, all this like with this new GUI and stuff. So that, but then also not tied to Zoom at all and being able to like hop into another platform uh, and across teams and like merging offices together and customizing all of that. Yeah, and, and I think the definition of an event is getting pretty, pretty blurry. I think the pandemic has sort of blurred mm -hmm. everything. Like, is this an event? Is my team meeting that we do stand up on Zoom with 18 people, is, is that an event? Um, and so I don't know what you, Brant, and Will think about that, but, like, we think we have to choose a lane, and it's probably internal events are going to be the thing that we care about the most, bleeding into these persistent weekly recurring use cases that are stand-ups, that are socials, that are virtual water cooler. And so I don't, I don't know where the event domain ends and where 
I don't know, just work begins, but it's a, it's kind of a complex topic. And I'll add just one more thing to the internal events, which makes it really exciting and applies to external events too. But if you have recurring things, uh, especially in like matchmaking, you can build this entire graph of who inside of an organization knows each other. And if you have recurring events or recurring meetups, you can do something similar um, rather than kind of starting from scratch every time uh, with who you're introducing with whom. You can build like really sophisticated, um, you know, interaction patterns. Uh, and that ends up getting super exciting. It's really interesting because it like almost starts to remind me a little bit of like the early days. Like you, you talked about how you didn't like Facebook and social <laughs> networks. It's almost starting to build like the basis of a, a social network in some ways. But, you know, I think one of the more exciting parts about it is that like I'd rather be part of like a paid model or be part of a company that is paying for that service rather than that data getting used for advertisers on that on that aspect. But instead creates this exciting opportunity too for for I think for as you guys as a company too because the more data that you have the ability to better match people together, the more that as a company that I'm less likely to switch services. Like I'd rather just stick with one single service for a long period of time because I know that, you know, oh, it's, it has all the ten- information on my employees already. Um, so I think that adds some excitement to it as well. Will, you, you, you nailed it. So the, the most interesting data that I've seen come out of the pandemic came out of Microsoft and Cal Berkeley a couple months ago. And they basically looked at work data, like stuff coming from Outlook and from uh, Yammer and from Teams for 60,000 Microsoft employees the day they switched to, ver- to remote work. And the biggest thing that they saw is that the networks within Microsoft are withering. Like people are just not talking to other people outside of their own teams. And that has really dangerous effects for fast moving industries, which is suddenly you don't know the context of what you're working on. Suddenly you don't know how your work fits into the larger picture. So I think you said it. This is there's sort of a network graph to be built within companies that is not a sinister, let's feed you the best ads at the best time, but let's help you really know and care about the people you're working with because not only is that good for you as a human, it's also good for high-performing teams. Okay, so I have a, like, am I allowed to go in the future? Am I allowed to go there for, for a second? Let's go to the future. Um, <laughs> so I think that you brought up this really good point that like within companies, people are getting siloed into their own teams, right? We see this happen all the time at events, right? Like you go to an event and you only hang out with the people that you know. I'm not going to lie. When Brad and I go to conferences, we pretty much just hang out with the two each other the whole entire time, right? And you end up becoming – because it's familiar, right? It feels safe and all these things like that. How do you think in the future – so this probably can apply to also breaking into internal meetings and getting teams unsiloed from each other. How, how do you think the future of this like – you know? breaking of silos and breaking of clicks can go um and where do you guys think it can go and how can event technology help i think for this like virtual is actually extremely powerful um if you're in person imagine like dragging someone by the arm and like making them talk to somebody else or like if you ever try try to run like a speed dating event in person people don't move they like they like don't listen to instructions um but if you have people on the browser or in a zoom app and you just switch who they're talking to and kind of throw them in there. It's pretty exciting. So like, uh, especially in the beginning when we were like just onboarding people for the first time, people would at first be shocked. Like the first time they, you know, go through the Glimpse experience or Twine experience, like people are like taking it back and they're like, oh no, what do I do? I ran out of time. Like, how do I talk to them? Ah, they panic. But then they come out of it like completely rejuvenated and they want to do it all over again. And it's, it's one of those things that 
I strongly believe people are looking for. Like people are looking to have those conversations with strangers and having some kind of crutch on the side with simple things like icebreaker questions. Like these aren't crazy concepts, but a question that gets people to, I don't know, talk about a smell that reminds them of their childhood. And then suddenly, you know, making them a human and not just a face across the world or across the screen. Um, And that little like forcing function is extremely powerful and something that we can use with, you know, the power of the browser. And this is something that um, is really interesting. So a lot of people, when they're thinking about like the virtual world and like the event tech world, like we're trying to like recreate the offline online. And I think that's a box that's like limiting people uh, when in reality, we should just be thinking like, hey, we have like all this magical power of tech. Like, why are we trying to recreate offline? Offline wasn't that great. Uh, we can do so much more online. So I, I agree Lots with everything. Jazz Jazznaps going on on that. So I, I can't help it. I still love in person. And we actually, the way that we merged our companies was we took everybody to Palm Springs. And, and Helen and I, with the help of Anne, who you both know, basically ran face-to-face networking stuff where we did the kind of speed matching but in person. And honestly, I, I, don't, I don't know how I would run the company twine without in-person quarterly offsites. So what I'm trying to um, help event profs understand, but they probably are way ahead of me, is that this is the golden age of internal <laughs> meetings, like face-to-face, digital doesn't matter because companies need this cohesiveness. So I, I remember the day that the internal meeting was, here's 50 bucks, take your team to the park, but make sure to be back by one o'clock. But now it's like they're just as important, if not more important, than your sales call kickoff or your marketing-owned events. Like these offsites, like I can't even tell you. Like they, they have to happen now in this age, or you're you're gonna start to lose connective tissue. I, I think there's a software opportunity there too. I think there's probably a new kind of event app just for offsites, but we'll save that for another time. Always, always thinking, always thinking. The uh, the, the digital world offers such a low barrier of entry and such an ease. I mean, even thinking about your story, you know, you reached out on Twitter first. And so, you know, Will and I met online first. And so I think to exactly your point, Helena, that that people get it stuck in this box that we're trying to replace in-person events or something along those lines. And it's it really is a yes and situation as opposed to an or situation. And so it's, it drives me nuts that people are talking about going back to in-person events when, when I, I'm I'm forcing the, the terminology, but nobody's picking up on it, of reincorporating the in-person audience to our digital events. Um, so that's that's my subtle way of, of saying that we're not going back to what we were doing before because we weren't doing it well, especially when it comes to things like access- accessibility, where I could soapbox for another 10 minutes on that. But I'll, I'll you know, go back and listen to just about every other episode of this podcast, and I've probably done it. Um, but it is that low barrier of entry where you get the opportunity. It's the, it's the new front door of meeting people that you might never meet before. And what for me has always been magical about the Internet is this ability to connect with someone on the complete other side of the planet that no way you would ever have bumped into each other on the street in your life. And the more that we can continue to do that, I mean, that's, that's what events are all about, is making connections and meeting people and exactly down the road that both of your companies are, are trying to take us. Yeah, I, I was going to, I was trying, I was like, man, what, so I went in the future. Am I like, <laughs> should I go back to the past now? Um, <laughs> we could see so, you were deep in thought, Will. It was, it was really- <laughs> so 
what what do you uh, I guess if I'm allowed to if, wait, you guys can decide how much you guys are able to share and stuff but what does the future of Glimpse and Twine kind of look like um, you know what exciting things uh, you know what sort of nerdy exciting things do you think that we that our audience would have to look forward to um, and I know that like product roadmaps are really hard to share on on podcasts and stuff like that but i mean share i guess just as, as far as like where you guys see everything going and you know it sounds like you guys have already started bringing everybody together in person to meet up and collaborate but yeah give it give us some juicy cool stuff that we have to look forward to let's nerd out with you for a second helena you got to tell them about your thoughts on the zoomiverse and, and sort of the early oh, spatial gosh. uh efforts that you all <laughs> made in, inside of zoom and what's possible there yeah, for sure. So I guess like immediate next step, um, if you haven't signed up for the, the wait list yet, sign up and get access to our Twine for Zoom. That's going to launch in a week or two maybe. Uh, so that's that's exciting. That'll really power everything around breakout rooms, pretty much give you superpowers. Um, but then kind of building off of that, like the next stage is really the Zoomiverse. Um, and what that really means is this like kind of, I hinted at this before, but this this Zoom room that never closes, where you walk around this like virtual world, but it doesn't feel like like what Zoom currently feels like, where like in a room with with a grid view, and it's more, hey, it's a map, and you walk around on this map, and you can go into your conference room. You can imagine like overlaying like the meetings you have on top of it, uh, and you can see who's in which room, and then talking on stuff. Uh, and this is all kind of internal, but you can imagine the same thing for um, like a large conference. So if you have a large conference that's lasting over the course of a few days, like never closing the Zoom session, never having to send people a bunch of different links and registration links, just having everybody in uh, for the entire duration. Um, and you could have like a large stage going on. You could have one link out to like a webinar. Um, you could have one room that's like a quiet room where everyone has their videos off. Uh, and there's a lot of exciting stuff that Zoom is actually releasing that we can kind of piggyback off of and uh, develop on top of, one of which is like immersive views. So you can imagine going into one of these rooms just with like your arrow keys in the gamified way, you get there and you're at a poker table and all of your like, like the background changes into a poker table and your avatars go around the table and you play a game and you're like fully immersed. And that's weird. And then you walk into another room and like you hear music and other things. And all of that's possible just with kind of clever automations uh, and, and setup around kind of the existing infrastructure that Zoom has. Um, and there's just like so many avenues we could take it and we just get to kind of have creative freedom and, and hack around. Yeah, people don't know this. Zoom is very close. Like the pieces are starting to come online and that's going to be a really powerful platform for developers to experiment. I think it's going to make Zoom the company stronger. But all this, like I'll give you a really simple example that we, we run today, which is we had an all hands yesterday. At the end of the all hands, um, we spun up a couple of tables in the sidebar of, of Zoom, so virtual tables. And I'm like, hey, Ann and Sam, let's grab a table and let's talk about the SEO stuff. And so we, we all sort of like tapped on that table on the sidebar. And then suddenly we had popped into another Zoom room and we were talking about SEO stuff. Other people gathered at another table just to hang out for a little while, a virtual table within Zoom. So this is stuff like right now it's like little pictures uh, on, on the screen, very, very two-dimensional. But this is going to get very immersive very vibey music background like you're, it's going to be like you're walking into a different room and you don't have to ever leave, leave zoom which is which is kind of nuts uh, another another canvas that we're excited about is templates and activities so you know a really good way to meet somebody is to have a conversation with them 
But guess what? There's another really good way to really get to know somebody. It's do something with them. And so maybe that's play a game, work on a problem together. Maybe it's uh, uh, can I share something personal in a guided, templated way. So we, we think each of these breakout tables and rooms is a canvas for us to explore uh, easy, automated activities that people can do together. And then presto, at the end of 20 minutes of working on something together, you actually know the, the people around the table with you. So there's so many fun areas as, as a sort of like geeky technologist for us to kind of explore here. Uh, so we're, we're pretty excited. And then one additional super cool thing that at least I'm personally very jazzed by, uh, is the ability for hosts to better facilitate what's going on in all of these rooms. So Lawrence mentioned activities and hosts like sending tasks to them, um, but the monitoring of those tasks ended up being super interesting as well. Um, in like the current breakout room situation, uh, you like send them away and you are kind of left all alone and you don't know what people are talking about, you don't know what's happening where. You can pop in and then you disrupt the flow. If they're talking about something personal, then you've ruined it. Uh, if they're not talking about anything, they're probably not going to tell you. And this applies to like, the whole like education space too, but um, there's no way for you to kind of get that pulse check. Uh, and we can build that inside of Zoom and then inside of other platforms that we're integrating with, where you as a host can get immediate feedback of tasks are checking off, but then also who's the dominant speaker? You know, who um, who's like speaking the entire time and not letting other people talk? Uh, is the room entirely silent? Do they need some kind of poke? Do they need help? Can you DM them directly? Um, and we can even expose things like audio stream and video stream. But then we kind of tread into different territory of like, should we even be doing that? But uh, the point is that we can, um, and we could build a lot better like host management tools that you could even, better than you could do in the real world right now. Dang, I never thought I, I never thought about that. Like when I'm in Zoom breakout room, how many times like a host walks in and literally just we all go silent. Like we'll mm-hmm. be like in need of, and we're like, oh, mm-hmm. do they need something? And then you make an announcement, what's going on? And I never thought about that idea that like if you can try to create a tool that allows you to to do like the 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 in person equivalent of look kind of through the crack of the door to be like, okay, everything's going okay in there, right? Mm-hmm. Like how how more powerful that can make a Zoom breakout room. Never thought about that. So I'm like. <laughs> Well, that's one of the number one complaints that I've heard about breakout rooms. It's just getting people in and getting people out and, and rearranging on the fly and being able to either have smart rearranging or dumb rearranging or, you know, <laughs> just all of those little things, making that as easy and seamless as possible of just click on a table and great, we're in a room together kind of stuff just sounds great. And I think that is the initial opportunity, just make it easier. But if you start to – I think the term breakout rooms is too limiting. If you start to string breakout rooms together, you can start to create a world, a venue, a site that is all tied into your meeting format. But the meeting just becomes a little window to start an experience, and that's the the really really cool stuff. It kind of reminds me like the analogy of like an escape room, right? Like – probably everyone's heard of an escape room or experienced an escape room but really the ones that are like truly magical is the one where you like you're like okay we just got a key and we open up and there's a whole nother room in there and you're like <laughs> that feeling of being like a you're like oh my gosh there's more puzzles to solve but like it's also like usually like it's always this profound like whoa moment and i think that's why people like love haunted houses in a lot of ways i think it's why people you know love even going out art galleries too it's like you kind of like get to explore and move around these spaces and it creates this like aha moment as you're kind of moving through it too so yeah maybe we need to kill the word breakout room and it needs to be like virtual escape room no i'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) 
All right. So I think I think we've pretty much covered. We've talked about the future. We got the opportunity to, to geek out a little bit. And um, I, I'm resisting the urge to go really far down the, the rabbit hole and talk about, okay, is it API or is it custom client and all those things? Because from the attendee standpoint, it doesn't matter as long as it works and people click on it and they're happy. Um, that's that's all that matters. <laughs> that's a whole fun topic, though, Brand. I you know imagine a Twilio for networking where you, you as a developer you send a list of people and, and the and the matches just come back and you can program however those however you want and display those however you want. That's a whole other concept. Um, maybe maybe Twine is just one client built on this back end matchmaking, um, but then we open that up and other clients can be built on top. So so a lot, a lot of fun 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 things to talk about in the future. Well, we hope you'll have the opportunity to come back and tell us uh, tell us more as we go. Um, all right, so it's all going to be one company soon, but for the short term, uh, Helen, if people want to find out more about you, what you're working on, about Glimpse, the product, the person, uh, whatever you're wanting to share, now's the time to do it. For sure. Uh, easiest is probably Twitter, uh, just Helena Merck, my name, first name, last name at Twitter. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for joining us. And Lawrence? Great being with you again. Thanks so much. If people want to find out more about you and Twine, where should they look? Yeah, uh, twine.nyc. Um, you can get on our Zoom waitlist. We're actually showing demos all day today, all day Monday. Um, and then uh, on Twitter, I'm Lawrence Coburn. But always a pleasure to talk to you guys. I threw my name on the list while we were talking because I want to. I can't <laughs> wait to can't wait to see it all in action. That's going to be me in a second, too. <laughs> so, awesome. Well, it's been so fantastic talking to both of you. Brant, it's been so fantastic also having you as co-host, as always. Um, and, you know, it, we're also really thankful for you, the audience who's listening to this right now. Um, we'd love to hear from you. What are your thoughts? Shoot us an email, eventtechpodcast at helloendless.com. Let us know, like, what do you think? Is this exciting? Is this scare you? Is it – what is it what, – what, what about this conversation – popped in your mind as you were thinking about it you know that we read every single one of your emails i was just gonna say i said i don't know that we've actually talked about that fact that you and i we read every single email that comes in we don't always talk about them um but we we read every single one that comes in and it's uh, you know it's i think the hardest part sometimes is we're like okay this could be a whole episode us just talking about this so i think we're gonna have that coming in in fact i think i saw a couple questions coming in from uh, some of our listeners as well so um, i'm probably turn some of those in some episodes soon but shoot us an email let us know what you think event tech podcast at hellonest.com or tag hashtag event tech podcast on linkedin is probably your best place where we always are and also twitter as well because uh you know we're gonna be hanging out with helena and lawrence for sure on twitter so all right let's get out of here so everyone can have a fantastic day thank you everybody for tuning into this week's episode of event tech podcast and we will see you next time getting ready to get nerdy and talk more about acquisitions and the future of event tech right here on the event tech podcast Event Tech Out. Thanks again for listening to the Event Tech Podcast. Be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcasting app. Also be sure to head to eventtechpodcast.com and leave us a comment about this week's episode. Ask a follow-up question or let us know about some event tech we need to talk about. We'll see you next week on the Event Tech Podcast.